Welcome to this week's episode of the Lively Last Podcast. We are your hosts, James and Lisa Duvall. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. We hope you're finding each and every episode helpful. If you think the content is valuable, we'd appreciate you sharing it with your friends and family. It's the best way for new people to get acquainted with the podcast. So this week, we're going to switch it up a bit. Uh, We've had some really cool guests this season. It's been great to meet some new people and introduce them to you, whether it was Rachel Travis, the sweepstakes queen, Johnny Crowder, the founder of Cope Notes, or even this past week with Eric Allen. We've also introduced you to some of our friends like Michael Neal, Ryan Leak, and Nick Kane. All those conversations were great, but this week we're going to interview each other. I think this is going to be yeah, fun. Be cool. Yeah, we're calling this three questions. We're going to take turns asking each other questions. We think it'll be fun. And at the same time, hopefully it'll offer a lot of value to our listeners. Yeah, we hope so. We probably should call it three questions plus one because we invited listeners last week to send in a bonus question for each of us. So we will add that one in the mix as well. Awesome. So are you ready to jump in? Yeah, I think so. Let's do it. Okay. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I think I will let you start by asking first. Okay, cool. I'll start with an easy one. It's a three-part question. See what I did there? Maximize the mm-hmm. three-question rule. What are you currently reading? What are you learning from it? And how are you applying it to your life? I love this question. I don't read as many books as you do, but I actually read them and I like digest it. So this is one of those books, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. I love this book. She defines the soul as what exists beyond the job or position you hold or aspire to. Your soul exists beyond the relationships you have or the desired relationships you have. Mm. Any success that you have, your soul goes beyond it. And all the followers and friends on social media platform, your soul goes way beyond it. For me, this intersects the journey of my identity. So working on my soul has been the key for me to understand who I really am. One of the things that I've learned from the book is often our soul is the last aspect of our humanity that we actually target for growth, health, and vibrancy. When we don't target it, we end up losing our souls and wonder where in the world did we last see it? James, you know the struggle. I recently had displaced my credit card and my driver's license. Yeah, it's quite the struggle. Yes. And so there's like this fear of potential financial loss that I leave it at a store and someone's charging, but it was for sure a loss of time and energy as I was trying to look for it, find it. Two weeks went by of the stress and agony of it and then having to order it all new. So in the rush of life, this is what happens to our soul if we're not mindful. We can't remember where we last had it. It's a great insight. Yeah, Jesus actually says it this way, we can gain the world and lose our souls. And that's in our culture today, achieving success, relationships, social media following, comparing lives, it gets all caught up in that when we don't actually look. So one of the ways I'm applying is I'm focusing on what solitude looks like. So solitude for me is very hard because I am an Enneagram too, and people are my jam. Yes, they're, they are. They are, and they're my they're, they are my hobby. They they're what I think about. So solitude, pulling away from them, and even maybe you in the morning of when I'm like needing to have time alone and reflect. I would rather spend time talking to you, but I have to really focus on solitude. But then even this book has been helping me know what to do in that time of solitude. There's a lot of applicable things I'm learning from it, but that's the one thing I'm taking away right now. That's great. I'll have to add that to my reading list. What about you? What are you reading? 
Well, I have a multi-book reading strategy, uh, so I read several books at the same time. Actually, just today finished a book, Winning the War of Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. It's a fantastic book. Just so you know, I do not understand What's how that? you read multiple books at one time and don't get them confused. Well, it's just, I don't know either, but you I don't. You do it. You do it. Okay, so tell us about it. In the book, he unpacks the four principles of winning this war of your mind, the replacement principle, removing lies and replacing with truth. He talks about the rewind principle, moving away from the ruts that we create in our thinking and digging what he calls trenches of truth, which I thought was really cool. Uh, the reframing principle where he talks about changing your perspective. And then the fourth one was the rejoice principle, which is great teaching around this idea of looking through and not at our problems, mm. which I thought was a really great concept that I'm still unpacking my mind how that, that works. So I'm also reading a book called Dream Makers by Jim the Rookie Morris. And I just started a book called Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership by Daniel Eads, who uh, we'll have as a guest in the future to talk about his book. And I'm also reading an Audible book. It's called Remember It by Nelson Dellis. So yeah, that's what I'm reading. That is amazing. So I think this is a moment to just speak into marriage life here is that you have these goals and you read this many books Mm -hmm. and I do not. And so I don't feel the pressure to have your goals in your morning routine. Right. And you know what? You do a fabulous job of not putting that on me. So marriage tip, it was a bonus. Okay, here's your first question, because that was just a tag on what my question. Exactly. Self-leadership is one of the things you talk and teach about. Yep. What are some keys for someone who wants to grow in their self-leadership or personal development? Uh, I think it's a great question and something that I'm constantly trying to develop and continue to learn myself. But one of the things I always talk about is this idea of a leadership equation and self-leadership equation, which is really self-awareness plus self-management. So the more you know about yourself, then you add the the things you learn and managing those things equates to the level of your self-leadership. You know, so I I think uh, self-awareness and tools like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or DISC are all ways to kind of learn your tendencies and our tendencies are how we act. And if we know our tendencies, we can begin to act intentionally, not accidentally. So that's one thing I would say is is really dive into self-awareness, be ruthless about eliminating blind spots. And then when you find those blind spots, begin to put management tools and processes and systems mm-hmm. around to do that. I think another thing that I, I would say is don't focus on big things, focus on small things. Big things really are the collection of small things. And I love what Zechariah 410 says. It says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And so I think whatever it is, if it's your personal growth or an area of development that you're wanting to grow yourself in is to start small, do things that that you can't fail at. An example of this is reading for me. When I started trying to grow myself as a, a reader, I decided instead of trying to go after big goals like books, that I just went after something small, like a number of pages a day, whether it's five pages or 10 pages a day, that that accumulates, those small things accumulate into big things. The third thing I would say is it's about mindset. So committing to get better. So like a get better mindset, I guess it's a difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. I love this thought that your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Mm. So if you don't have a mindset that is focused towards growth, focused towards advancement, focused towards becoming, you know, if that's not your strongest thought, your your life's going to stay in the inertia 
of where you are. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he, talking about the way we think. So I think those are a few things that I would say, self-awareness and Mm self-management, focus on some small successes, small things, and then just make a commitment to yourself that you're not going to stay where you are, but take in those small things commit to get better every day and you're going to see your leadership and your personal growth develop. There was a couple of years back I was reading anything about the mind. The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer, daily devotional chunked out that I could actually focus my mind on what I needed to keep and maintain yeah. that mindset. Then also Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a great book. Again, just knowing that our brain has power and we can actually help shape our thoughts. We do not have to let our brains take control and rule us. We can actually actually focus it. When you're talking about personal development or personal growth or self-leadership, mindset really is key because if you don't think you can grow, that's a fixed mindset, but you have to have an attitude that I'm going to do some things I've never tried before. I'm going to learn some things I've never done before. And that's a growth mindset. You may fail along the way. You may not get it right, but you're going to lean into it and you're going to grow in those areas. I wanted to mention one thing about books that you shared with me when you started digesting so much content mm-hmm. that really helped me, even though I'm a fast reader, because you're always like, Lisa, you read so fast. I wish I could read that fast. Yeah. I do read for retention. And one of the things you told me, which really helped me is you don't have to read just for retention. You can read for expansion. Yeah. So certain books like Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, I am actually reading with retention in mind. Yeah. But there are other like Bob biographies and different books that I'm reading that are maybe about a different topic that are actually just for me to expand my thinking. When I do that, I don't feel like I have to underline everything and digest everything and process it and verbalize it. It just helps me think bigger. Yeah. And I think one of the things too, reading is I think the game changer for Mm self-leadership. Like if somebody wants to grow themselves, if they're not reading they're really not going to develop. Like, or you're reading the lives of people. People have spent years and years researching topics and consolidating the content. I think other content forms are really great for self-development would be like podcasts. One of the reasons we do this podcast is to help people in their personal growth so they can develop and grow their influence. It is key. And it's not always to learn data. Sometimes you can listen to the story of a person and just be inspired. And that will push you forward in your own desire to grow in your personal leadership and self-leadership. Love it. Love it. So listeners who have been with us from the very beginning of this podcast would be a little familiar with your story. If not, I I do encourage all our listeners to go back and check out episode two and three, where Lisa shares her journey to identity and dealing with father loss. So my question for you, Lisa, is what lessons have you learned on the journey of dealing with or overcoming that pain? Yeah, I love this. Um, I think the things that I'm about to share are one for yourself. Like as I'm processing pain, I have these three postures for myself. But also when I'm helping other people process pain, or I know other people are in pain, I have this posture with them. So it's for myself or for others, but I'm going to talk about it in the context of what I do to help myself process pain. The first posture is awareness. I need to understand processing pain is good pain, not processing pain, avoiding processing pain by covering it up with alcohol, any kind of other addiction is a way that we are avoiding processing pain. So having the awareness that good pain is processing that pain. I know there's a lot of coaching analogies about pain. Not, this is not football. There's a lot of connections between you football. You can't just always suck it up and get you tough. That that does work sometimes, especially for people like me who like to maybe waller. Some people Did like- Did you just say waller? Yeah, waller in pain, which is a Southern way of saying, what would you say? I just- Wallow? No, Waller. Waller and pain. Waller and pain. (laughs) 
whatever. Okay. Anyway, that I do need to suck it up and get tough. So that phrase is really helpful in certain times in life, but you need to actually process it well. Then awareness of emotions. They are indicators of what's going on in our soul. It's been said that emotions are the language of the soul. So being aware of knowing that our journeys look different. I'm going to give someone some free advice today that you and I paid for, for me in counseling. (laughs) So (laughs) take note people. But I would say, I think I should have been here by now. And he's like, you are exactly where you should be, Lisa. James was here and I should have been there. No, you're where you need to be. The awareness around our journeys look different. Uh, The second posture is a posture of benevolence. This is kindness, compassion, really toward ourselves and toward others, obviously. But the focus of this is the law of love. Love requires us to forgive other people. So we need to process how to forgive other people, how to maybe forgive ourselves. And it's an act of kindness that we have. It really is the kindest thing I did while processing was navigating how to forgive. Because we've heard that saying before, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Unforgiveness actually does cause a lot of pain in our life. So preparing for and then actually having the hard conversation is a process, but it's an act of kindness to ourselves. So actually forgiving the the person who hurt is actually kindness to our even ourselves. To yourself. The forgiveness is actually for you. Not for them. Not for them. Yeah. That's right. The third posture is posture to connectedness. Avoid, avoid, avoid isolation in times of navigating pain. So get connected to a variety of support systems. When people are processing pain and they have one person that is their one person, that is their go-to, their accountability, their counselor, in my life, that was a sign of unhealth, that I needed a variety of things. I had someone who was mentoring me, my counselor who's helping me process pain. I maybe took a class. I was reading a book. I had a variety of friends who weren't actually talking about my pain. They were just helping me live life and have a fun life. I don't have to process my pain with everyone, but get connected to a variety of support systems. You may need to get in a class, group support. It may be grief share. It may be 12 step, 12 step or it. Yeah. Any kind of classes that are going to help you financial peace university, any kind of financial classes, if financial issues are a place that's causing you great pain, resource yourself. Don't wait to be resourced, but get connected to great people, great resources. I think that's a valuable part of processing pain. Yeah. Going back to when you were sharing your story before, is just the idea that uh, life is like a spiral staircase and you're going to circle around some of those pains and some of those issues at different levels. I think that awareness piece is really important, being aware of your emotions and how you deal with that. And I think you've done a great job of overcoming and dealing with and growing through the pain, even though it's not all gone, right? Right. That's right. I love what you said. And that is such a hopeful statement for Mm -hmm. me. You're circling the same issue and everyone's issue is different, but you feel like you should conquer it and it should be over and you should be beyond it. But it isn't always that way. My issue of fatherlessness, there's a deep-seated abandonment issue, rejection issue. So I'm going to probably deal with that in some form or fashion, maybe when my kids leave home (laughs) yeah, yeah, or things like that. But I I process that well. And again, posture of benevolence toward myself. Be kind to myself. I'm going to actually have to process this. It's okay, but I'm not going to live there. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's yeah. Good. Okay. So several years ago, we were introduced to a tool called the Thinking Wavelength Tool, oh, yeah. which is about how we relate to change, risk, and opportunity. One of the questions that the tool asks is, how many variables can you have in your mind at one time? A variable is an idea or a project in some stage of development. Yeah. The way it was actually presented to us is, if your brain was a fishbowl and each variable was a goldfish, how many fish can you manage? Manage swimming around in your head. And it's no surprise that you have more capacity for variables than I do. That's yeah, so true. You would say, how many fish can um, you have? I could probably manage seven to eight fish swimming around my head, seven to eight variables, projects, things going on. And just so all of our listeners know, that is not true of me. That's not. No, no. And again, once again, you don't have judgment. For, you have an appreciation, empathy for me for that. I can manage maybe three or four would be my maximum, but I'm probably operate best if I have two two or three things yeah I really wished it was three yeah two or three I actually recently have said my two to three fish are laying eggs and they're having babies in my <laughs> fishbowl <laughs> they're multiplying so it has been a stretch for me so there are ways that you are able to manage all things you are responsible for how's that yeah I think it's a good question and I think just like you when things get when I get too many projects or too many things going on at the same time I can get a little crunchy and uh, I know you can too I th- think some of it is just the way I'm wired. I think I'm just naturally wired to synthesize information and in situations quickly. So I can step into a project or something that I'm getting responsibility for, and I can pretty quickly assess what needs to be done. It may not be 100% assessment, but I can get 70, 80%. And so I don't have to worry or think too much about those things because I'm, I'm not swimming in those same problems. I can take on a few different challenges at the same time. I think there might be something around the fact that I don't feel the need to have all the answers to everything that I'm responsible for, but I know how to get the answers from the right people. And I think maybe this is a learned skill for me. I do feel like one of my abilities as a leader is to be an empower of leaders. And so if I had to manage all the details of the things I'm actually responsible for, I don't know that I can handle as many things, but I have learned to delegate and trust trusted leaders to carry out projects. And so I may be responsible for seven things at the same time, seven big projects, but I'm not going to all the meetings about those seven things. I'm not trying to answer all the questions about those seven things. I have people who are more hands in, I'm more hands on. So I don't have to handle all the details and the minutia of those things. I think you like to handle minutia and that's why you can only maybe do two or three fish at a time. If each fish required relational or emotional energy from me, I would not be able to handle that many variables. I do care for people, but I don't tend to entrench myself in relational dynamics or any drama, which I know you love because as you already said, people are your jam. Mm -hmm. And so you need more time and mental space and emotional space to do that. I tend not to stick to those emotional or drama pieces so I can, again, move with a lot more stuff in my head. And I think one practical thing that I do is I actually theme my weekly calendar. And I learned this a few years ago. So each day of my work week, I actually set an intention and a theme for that day. So for example, on Mondays, they're typically focused around two specific areas that I'm responsible for. And those are the only kind of meetings I take on that day. Those are the only things I work on those days so I can stay focused on those two things. Tuesdays are typically focused on a couple of different areas. And then Wednesdays, 
Wednesdays and Thursdays each day. So I'm able to compartmentalize the multiple things that are going on in my brain into sections. So like if something happens, I, I know that I, I have a day set aside that I can go back and work on those things. I don't know that answers it completely, but I do feel like that allows the fish in my brain to swim and be happy and not war against each other. That's good. I really like it. Just as an aha to me here is as you're talking about, if your fish required relational and emotional energy from you, you would not be able to do that. I do love hearing people's stories. I do love helping them process. That's why I only have capacity for that. And I would rather use my capacity for those things than to have a lot of things going on in my head. And so it does require a lot. And I do carry and process with people pretty heavy things in their life. So I'm not going to be able to yeah. do a lot of logistics, do a lot of high level thinking. There have been times in my ministry life that I have done logistics and higher level execution of big projects, but I have made the shift that I prefer being with people and helping people through. Yeah. I think the only thing that as I'm thinking about that, it makes me sound like I'm pretty cold. You're not. You know what? I want to celebrate you because you've been really working on accessing empathy that you've always had, Yeah, but you have become a highly empathetic listener, right? relate to people. But the truth is you're not able to make the decisions and move the organization the way you need to if you were caught up in all of the high feel, high drama things. Yeah. You actually can do it. Because we do have three children. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You've done it. So, All right. So here's my third question for you, Lisa. I'm going to take us down the Enneagram road, if that's cool with you. Enneagram is a complex tool. It's a, like an onion with lots and lots of layers, right? Yeah, like layers of three. Everything comes in threes with Enneagram. Okay, that's good to know. So as an Enneagram coach, after a person learns their foundational type, one of the nine numbers, what would you say is the next most important thing to understand? Is it their wing, their lines of integration, or their subtype? So what I think I'm going to do is tell you what each of them are. And then at the very end, You're I'm going to surprise us. Gonna surprise you da, da, da. yeah with what is the most important thing to know after you know your foundational number so you mentioned wings i am so glad you brought this up because there is confusion in the camp on wings so for those of you who do not understand enneagram or have no idea what i'm talking about the numbers one through nine go in a clockwise direction just like a clock other than the fact that it's missing 10 11 and 12 okay. so it just goes one through nine so on either side of your foundational type there's a number like you're looking at a clock if you look at a clock on either side of one it's 12 and it's two but remember we don't have so 10, 11. nine and two. That's right. That's right. So that would be your wing, either nine or two, if on the other side of if one. If you're a one. Yeah. Every number has a number on either side of it because it's in a circle. For me, I'm Enneagram two. And so my wing is either going to be one or it's going to be three. Okay. All day long, I'm a one. Okay. One wing. I have a lot of one tendencies, but I cannot say that I'm a two wing six. Right. That is not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And you hear that a lot, don't I you? I hear that a lot. It's like a bird. You know, on a bird, his wings are connected to both sides of him, right? Right. You can't get your partner's wing way over across the way. That's why they're called wings. Right. Is there a reason why people get that confused? There is a reason, and that's because they probably are high in another number 
right. that gets us into something that we're not going to talk about today at okay. all. It's called tri-types because you have a high number. Another level of the onion. Yeah. And it's, guess what? It's tri. It's three. Threes, so right. yeah, you, so we're not going to get in that today. Okay. It's for another day, but there is a reason why they do that. But just so you know, when you're talking about wings, you have to go with the number on one side or the other for you. So just to clarify, if somebody says like, I'm a two and I'm a wing six, they're thinking that because the six is the next highest number that that's their wing. But really it's either the one or the three, whichever those is highest is actually their wing number. Which you're bringing up a great point because you're talking about numbers, your highest number, the assessment that I'm a certified coach in actually does get that. And that's what you're talking about because it'll say, oh, James has zero, two in him. (laughs) No, that's not true. (laughs) It's not true. But it'll say, it'll say like your eight is really out of a hundred. Your, your eight is like 90. Yeah. Two. Yeah. So then on your two, it may say that you only have maybe 26. I don't know if that's what it says, but that's what you're talking about. But most people are taking free assessments, which does not give you all that data, which is why the tool integrative nine that I'm certified in is so beautiful because it gives a lot more detail. So people are actually torn between, am I two or six? Because they, and it may show up that on some free tests, it'll give you two or three numbers. Yeah. And that's why you're getting two or three numbers. But at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself, self, what am I more like? What do I resonate most with? So, because really the truth is we all have all the numbers in us. They're just some more dominant. Okay. So that's the wings. What's the integration? The lines of integration is what makes this crazy symbol construct look like a pentagram. Yeah. All the numbers that you see connecting actually tell you something about yourself. I'm going to use myself and then I'm going to use you, for example. Okay. You'll have two lines coming off every single number. Okay. That's the only place we don't have three. That's it's interesting. So two is connected to eight and it's also connected to four. Okay. When I am under stress, that line of integration, I go to eight. So it's just really weird when you see a loving, kind, nurturing two under stress. <laughs> Becoming the <laughs> low side of eight. The low side of eight. Right. Controlling, challenging. Sharp. Cutting. Yeah. So that is an indicator. Red flag. Mayday, Lisa. Mayday, I'm Lisa. I'm glad that doesn't happen too often with you. No, because it's not cute. It's not cute. Normally it's the number behind that you're connected to. So I'm, I'm a two, I'm connected to eight. You have to go backwards. Backwards. Okay. So that lets me know that that's my line of stress, my line of release. I'm like feeling good. I'm in a good place. I'm not under stress is four. Okay. So again, I got two and four, which are both in the heart triad, which is like, I'm doubling down on empathy and feeling good. Fours are creative. I get creative and I'm so that's great. So that is line of stress and a line of release. For you, interesting enough, you're an eight. You're connected to two, obviously. Right. And that's forward right. in the circle. So that is your release. You- so when I'm doing good, I actually am very empathetic, very helpful mm-hmm. people person. That's right. When you're under stress, your line of stress goes down to five. Right. Isolate, detach. Yep. Uh, research. Research. Dig into the data. Yep. 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 So all that stuff, possibly socially awkward. Yep. <laughs> Well, I think that's all the time, but that's right. So those are lines of integration. So those lines that look crazy and make it look like a pentagram actually let you know, I will say the tool that I'm certified in would say it's an indicator when I'm in the low side of eight, mm-hmm. but because I'm connected to eight, I need to maximize right. the strengths of eight. And actually anyone who's been near me in the last two and a half years has seen me actually access eight yeah. in a positive way, making decisions, moving forward, yeah, releasing. I'm not holding 
holding on to stuff. But I will tell you, when two's mature, people don't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been helping a lot of people that I'm no longer helping. Yeah. Because I'm actually going, what's, I need to invest in myself. I need That's to make good. decisions for myself. So lines of integration. So now we're down to subtypes. There are three subtypes. Get it? Three. Okay. So every number, one through nine, will identify with one of these three subtypes. Okay. You have them all in you. Mm -hmm. They're all there. One is dominant. Three subtypes. There's a social subtype. There's a one-on-one -on -one subtype. And there's a self-pres subtype. Okay. Now, I'm going to help you understand this by how we go to parties. Okay. So we all three subtypes go to a party. This isn't a joke, but it sounds like it's a joke. <laughs> three <laughs> like, subtypes walk into a party. party. Yes. So the social subtype is going to go, I'm going to make sure I'm connecting with James Duvall. And then I see Susie Bob. And oh, I got to make sure that I'm going to rub shoulders with Jim. And I can't wait to see John. And they're going to actually... And it's funny if people were actually seeing us do this podcast, you're like social person. The party. You're like, yeah, I'm like, moving to the groove. That's right. That's right. <laughs> in an organization, the social person who's wanting to know the pecking order, who's yeah. the leader, they want to know they're looking for that, but okay. that's, the that's the social. The one-on-one -on -one at the party is sitting down on the couch. They're going to go, oh my goodness, I got to see Andrea and I spent three hours with her. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't even see that Bethany was at the party because right. I was with Andrea the whole night. So that's just very in intense. All one-on-ones, whatever number they are, they are intense people. Self-preservation, they are concerned about their needs, not in a selfish way, but they're financial needs, their energy levels. They want to make sure there's food at the there's party. Food. So if they, they go to the, get away from the party. That's right. If they show up to the party and you said you're going to have food and you don't have food, they're going to want to leave because they have not eaten because they thought yeah. you were going to provide that need for them that you did not do. Right. They're going to make sure they don't get blocked in because they're going to want to leave because they have to be up at six. They are what we say is eye focused. Again, not selfish. Mm -hmm. They're just eye focused. One-on-ones are we-focused, me and you, we-focused. Right. And then social is us-focused. Okay. Is that good? Is this, uh, before I do the big reveal, do you understand? So somebody else who's an eight, who's a social eight, or a one-on-one -on -one eight would look totally different than me, who's a self-pres eight. Absolutely. Okay. This is also where people mistype. Mm -hmm. A social seven presents a lot like a two. They may take a test, a free test. And actually test as a two. Test as a two, but they're a social seven. And that's, mm. yeah. The other really weird one is a social two actually looks a lot like an eight. Right. Very confusing because they're warm. But then they have this very dominant, yeah. So okay. you ready for the reveal? Yeah, I'm ready to hear what is the second most important thing besides a foundational number that a person should know about themselves. So the next thing, it is not your wing that's most important. Yeah. It is not your lines of integration that's most important. Mm. The next thing you need to know and identify in yourself is what is your subtype? Are you a social Enneagram blank? Are you a one-on-one -on -one Enneagram blank? Are you a self-preservation Enneagram blank. And that's going to tell so much about you. Yeah. Mm, that's going to define that number a lot more. It will. And there are many other components to Enneagram that help you learn and grow in self-awareness, but that would be the next one. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. That was a great little concise teaching there on Enneagram. I'm sure people who aren't as familiar with Enneagram are kind of going, wow, I didn't know all that stuff. And those people who are calling themselves two wing sixes are going, ooh, yeah. I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Now it's your turn. Here is my last question for you. What is one leadership or life lesson that you have learned recently 
that you would want everyone to know or learn? I think I'll go with something I've been teaching a little bit the last few weeks is this idea of rock lock. I was watching this TV show about gold mining in Alaska. and Really now? <laughs> yes, I was. I, I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But th- this one specifically called Gold Rush Whitewater. And these guys, they dive under these waterfalls. The river is coming down from the mountain and there are waterfalls. And the water lands in what's called a splash pool. And as the water is coming down from the mountains, it's bringing gold and dirt and rocks and so forth down. And all that stuff lands in these splash pools. So what they do is they dive under the waterfall. They use these big suction hoses and they suction out all the dirt and all the small rocks to get to bedrock where the gold is. They have these big rocks that they have to move out of the way so they can get to more dirt and more gold. Well, on this one episode, they are trying to get to the bedrock and they talk about this phenomenon that happens when the water pushes all these big rocks down. And as the water's pounding down on these stones, they lock together and Mm -hmm. they get this phenomenon called rock lock. No matter what the diver tries to do, they can't move any of the rocks because they're so locked together. The thing they have to do then is they have to find one rock that's in there. It's called the keystone rock. And once they find that keystone rock, that's the only rock that will move. And once they move that, it unlocks all the other rocks. And so they can begin to move those boulders around so they can, again, get to the gold that's at bedrock. I think it's a great analogy for goal setting. I think it's a great analogy for personal growth. It's a great analogy for overcoming obstacles in our life. I think what I found in my own life is that we talked about empathy earlier. I didn't leverage empathy as much as I should. And when I found that keystone, I moved that it unlocked a lot of different areas of personal growth in my life. All of us have life that's pounding down on us. We have some desired goal that we want to get to. If, if you think about that, like the gold that's at bedrock, sometimes we need to do some searching to find the one keystone that unlocks a lot of our life for us. And when we find that it makes all the difference. There's a lot more I could talk right. on that, but that's the leadership lesson that I've internalized over the last, I guess, year or so since I've seen that. And then just last few weeks, I've been teaching on that Mm -hmm. and just thinking about that again and the different scenarios that may be locked up in their life that they could apply that analogy and go, I got to find that one thing that kind of unlock everything for me. Okay. So Lisa, I have a bonus question for you that came in from Chris. He's, I think one of our most faithful listeners. He's probably going to be the first person to listen to this episode. So he wanted me to ask you, If you could change one thing about me, what would it be and why? So there's one thing I would change about you, but you really can't help yourself. (laughs) So it's your cough. You have a cough. What our listeners may not know is you are an amazing worship leader with some serious pipes. You're a great singer, but those singing loud, belting out loud, coupled with coughing Mm -hmm. will pierce an eardrum, especially if you're in a car, but really you can't change that. Wow. That's the only thing you would change about me? Well, that's the first thing I thought about. (laughs) And then I had another thought. Okay. Which is something that you do have the potential to change. So you're at eight wing seven. Okay. And sevens love adventure. They finish one adventure and they're ready to talk about the next adventure. They finish one meal and they're ready to talk about the next meal. They accomplish one goal and they're on to other goals. This is the thing that is beautiful and encouraging and inspiring about you, but you want to move on much quicker than I ever want to move on. Okay. But it's not really, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for me. It's a struggle. Does this make slow down a little bit? Slow down. And then if we're going to start something, we need to do it for a while. Okay. 
it is interesting. Like when we started this podcast, you're like, Hey, if we're not going to do this, like for a while, then we're not going to do it. And it's like, we're going to do it for a while. So we're you doing did, you're, good. D- you're doing good, but there's a lot of pressure on <laughs> there you. There was a lot of pressure on me. So, okay. okay. I can't work on the cough, but I'll slow down a little bit. But guess what? We have a question that someone sent me in direct message and guess who sent it? I bet you it was Chris. Chris sent it. Chris, <laughs> our biggest fan. We have one, one faithful. No, we have more faithful listeners. I'm sure we do. Okay. If you could start one thing over in your life, what would it be? Ooh, one thing if I could start it over again. Wow, that's a that's a hard question. I think if I could start one thing over again, it would probably be if I could go back and start my leadership career over again, my seasonal leadership, I think I didn't develop myself early enough. I didn't know enough about personal development. And I think that it took crashing and burning to actually learn my lesson. And I wish when I was 20, 22, 23, that age range, I wish I would have not thought I knew it all. Instead of waiting until I was 35 and realizing that man, I had some major blind spots. So I think that's what I would do over again is I would go back and I would be a little bit more determined and ruthless about eliminating the blind spots. I wonder if that's why you are eager and passionate about helping young leaders to develop is because you would like for them to move past things in their life, keystones in their life without having some significant blowups relationally. Yeah, I think so. I think you can learn from mistakes or you can learn from mentors and hopefully I can be a person in people's lives that they're learning from my mistakes instead of having to make them themselves. And you know what? That's why I want to help people who are struggling with pain in their life is because I want them to experience freedom earlier than what I did. So I love it. Well, there you go, people. That was a lot of fun and hopefully helpful. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. If you thought it was helpful and would like for us to maybe do this again for another round of three questions in the future, maybe shoot us a DM and or post a comment on Instagram and let us know. We would love to continue to offer content that's helpful. And so if that's something that you think is helpful for you this week, let us know. We'll do it again. Yeah, I thought it was pretty fresh. Next week, we have author, writing coach, and autism advocate April Woodward on the podcast. James and I had a great time talking with April about her fiction series. What's the name of it, James? The Eon Crime. Yes, as well as how she personally has overcome the challenges associated with being on the spectrum and the way she advocates for her kids. Yeah, she is pretty amazing. So you don't want to miss it. As we wrap up this episode, we want to remind you, you can find the show notes to this and every show at livelylast.com. You can also join the weekly newsletter and receive each episode and show notes delivered directly to your inbox. All you got to do is text the word live, L-I-V-E, to the number 22454. Maybe you know a friend or family member who could use the encouragement of this episode. Why not share it with them? We want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Live Lead Last Podcast. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Live Lead Last. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. We wish you a blessed and safe week. Lead your life and leverage your influence today in a way that leaves a legacy you want tomorrow. Until next week, bye-bye. bye-bye. James, I'm ready to eat. Come on, I'm starving. Stop. Okay.